Good service, huh? Wow, hey, we got two more to go. And looking forward to our Christmas Eve service and, of course, our uh, Christmas uh, Day service. Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock. Encourage you to come. Be, you might even want to come early, even if you'd like to have a good seat. And uh, we will be about a 45, 40 to 45 minute service. Give you plenty of time to get where you're going, wherever you are that, that evening as well. And it'll probably be a little less than an hour on Christmas Day at 10 o'clock. So we encourage you to come. Hey, Thank you so much to those who've led in worship today. Man, what a great job. Appreciate I feel like we need a round of applause of how the Lord has used them today. Thank you so much. Appreciate Aaron and Mary Praise Band leading us in that. Davis, great job. Thank you so much. You were also one of the drummers too, weren't you? Yeah, be okay. Uh, the gold and red, in this service we call them the gold and red dancers. In the first service we called them uh, rhythmic movement makers or something like that. So more traditional, you understand, for that. And how about our choir? Our choir sang both services last week. Plus the last night, they, I mean last Sunday night, of course, they had the musical. And then both services today, they have been. So then they're coming to your house. Every, every church member, they're going to come to your house on Christmas Day. Not really. It's probably just a rumor. Would you take your Bibles now and go to Matthew chapter 2? We're going to be reading verses 13 through 23. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that Jesus has a message for you this Christmas? I believe that he does have a message for you every time that we come together. Because I want to say, if you're convinced, particularly as we come into worship together, would you want to miss a worship service? Already today, would you have wanted to miss today? No, certainly not, but uh, know that the Lord has a message for us every time that we come together. I want you to be convinced that the Lord has a message for you this Christmas, and we want to be in tune and listening to what the Lord would have to tell us today. We are in Matthew chapter 2, so we continue our series today. We're looking at heavenly messengers that come and have given messages, and then we also want to see what message that the Scripture and the Lord has for us as well. Matthew Chapter 2 and verse 13 reads like this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod's about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. We have talked before about the Old Testament Joseph and the New Testament Joseph and some of the similarities, but we find there's another connection between the Old Testament Joseph and the New Testament Joseph, and that is the city of Bethlehem. Joseph's mother, Rachel, died giving birth to his younger brother, Benjamin, near Bethlehem, and so 
Rachel was buried near Bethlehem. She, it was Joseph's father, Jacob, mentions Bethlehem in Genesis as the place that he buried the love of his life. If you ask Jacob, Joseph's father in the Old Testament, ask him what he thought of when he thought of Bethlehem so many millenniums ago, he would have said, when I think of Bethlehem, I think of death. Also, this is the place where King Herod had all the baby boys killed under two years of age. It had been apparently well known. And in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, When the wise men told Herod the king of Jews had been born, Herod was greatly troubled. And the scripture says that all of Jerusalem was troubled because so many feared King Herod because of this kind of cruelty which he was willing to inflict on anyone who dared to cross him or was a threat to his kingdom. In the in-between time, that is the time between Jesus was born, the time that Jesus died and rose again during those 33 years. If you'd ask anybody what they had thought of Bethlehem because of this event, of the killing of all the two-year-old boys that took place in Bethlehem, when they thought of Bethlehem before this time, it was a, they thought of death and sadness and sorrow, the loss of life of innocent babies in this small village. But today when you think of Bethlehem, when we sing of Bethlehem, what do you think? You don't think of death. Instead, you think of life. Who do you think of? You think of Jesus, the Savior of the world, your Savior, because Jesus makes a difference even in the midst of evil, in spite of tragedy, hope in the midst of hurt, life even when there's been death. This is not the part of the story you understand that we're going to read on Christmas Day. It's not even the part of the story we're going to read on Christmas Eve, but it's included for a purpose. I believe that the story of Jesus were a fairy tale. They would not have included this particular story that we've read this morning. There's lots of parts of the stories of Jesus that we may not like, but we know that it's true and it's all given for a purpose. We know that Jesus later that he would be ridiculed, spat upon, beaten, and humiliated. I don't like the fact that he, these things happened to Jesus, but I'm thankful that he was willing to, willing to endure such for my sake. Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2, they're the, considered the birth narratives of Jesus, including the flight of Mary and Joseph and Jesus to Egypt and the killing of boys ages two and under in Bethlehem. Every part of the Christmas story is for a purpose. Well, what's the purpose of this part of the story? I, I know why I have included it today, hopefully under the Holy Spirit's direction, leadership. It's part of the Joseph story. Jesus, Joseph has three more dreams whereby an angel appears and gives him a message. Well, this morning we're not necessarily debating Herod's purpose We'll spend maybe just a little bit of time contemplating why God allows such tragedy in Bethlehem after such a miraculous event. No, what we want to discover today and simply talk about why this would be included in the scripture and in the Christmas story. But I want to tell you there's purpose in the passage. In fact, if you've got your notes there, you might even recognize that we've written these in first person so that you might make them personal to you. For there's, there's purpose in the passage for each one of us, there's purpose in the passage for you. And the first one is this, purpose in this passage, so that I will not forget the value of good news. So that I will not forget the value of good news. Today may it be our desire to hear it, to live it, to share it with others. And sometimes that which makes something valuable is because it's not common or it's not accessible or it's rare. Gold and diamonds are considered valuable for one reason because most of us cannot dig it up in our backyard oil prices we are told go up when the demand is greater than the supplies and sometimes right around the holiday time but uh, seems like they're going lower we hope they get lower but we need to be careful not to lose the value of the good news about Jesus I want you to try this today when you leave and you head home count how many churches you're going to pass on your way home 
Some of you, depending on where you live, you probably pass half a dozen churches between now and then. How many Bibles do you have in your home? Or can you find your Bible on Sunday morning sometimes is the question. I probably have about 30 Bibles in my office and home, not counting the ones that my wife had. If you have a radio or a cable television or smartphone or smart TV, you can get some kind of preaching 24 hours a day if you would like. Now, maybe not all of it's worth listening to, but the good news is all around us is the point. We're fortunate that we have such accessibility to it, but we are also in danger of losing the sense of value and worth of the best news in the world. Understand that the value and the power of the good news of Christ's coming never diminishes it. But our sense of it can when it is so common to us or when we let the bad news overshadow the good news. When I say good news, I want you to be able to understand I'm talking about the gospel message. And the gospel message, simply put, is that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. The very first international mission work that took place took place in the chapter that we read. Previously in that chapter, it says that a miraculous sign of a star could be seen in the east, meaning east of Jerusalem and Judea. Wise men traveled from far off, probably Persia, traveling many miles, days and months to see the Christ child when those only five miles away did not even care to make the short journey to Bethlehem even after hearing of the birth. In some countries, sometimes missionaries and pastors, they'll have like maybe a week-long seminar or a couple of weeks long to where they will invite people in neighboring village to come and to be a part, sometimes leaders of the underground churches and the and sometimes the time of that will be something like 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Nothing much significant about the time except that there are some who get up three hours earlier in, because they have a three-hour walk in order to get to be able to be a part of a Bible study and then they leave at 3 o'clock in the afternoon They have a three-hour walk back so that they might be able to leave at daylight and be back by dusk. Do you know that God is at work today around the world in ways that which we could not fathom? People are hungry for the good news and the things of the one true God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. While we sometimes have a hard time maybe driving a few minutes if it's going to be really, really cold outside or if the heater may not be working exactly right at church. But people who truly want to worship will find a way in order to worship. One of those who refused to worship Jesus was King Herod, known as Herod the Great. Lied to the wise men known as the Magi, told them that when you find the one called King of the Jews, come back and let him know so that he also might go and worship. But Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to know where the baby was going to be born so that he might do as he had always done, that was to exterminate any competition. Herod the Great, under the authority of the Roman government, actually sat on the throne in Jerusalem. First appointed the governor of Galilee and then king of Palestine. Herod was not Roman by birth. He was half Jewish and half Idumean, meaning that uh, he was half of a descendant of Esau and not Jacob. Well, who was to sit on the throne in Jerusalem? Well, it was to be a descendant of David. Jesus was a descendant of David, but his throne was not of this world and was certainly much larger than Palestine. Jesus came to give Life, real life, and eternal life. King Herod was famous for taking life, and particularly the life of the innocent. And then here was Jesus who came to give life and to forgive those who are guilty. There could hardly be more contrasting character in history than that of King Herod. Now, I cannot completely satisfy the question of why bad things happen. 
I know that we're born with a sinful nature. We know that Satan is at work. We live in a fallen world. But this episode in the midst of the beautiful story, the gift of the Christ child being born, surely reminds us that why Jesus would come to offer forgiveness and to bring hope to a world in need. And we are is in much in need today in this world as the world was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. So let this story renew your hunger for the good news of Jesus and the Word of God. Want to come to God's Word and move the pages again and again to be able to rediscover and discover new some of the treasures that are found in God's Word. Want to come to God in prayer giving to him all of your requests and listening to him so that you might be able to renew your fellowship as well. Want to come and to be among God's people in God's house and to be a part of God's church so that you might be able to have the joy and the fellowship of what it means to be in the family of God and that you might be able to worship him and we might be able to serve together. Evil and tragedy and injustices in this world will continue to drive some people away from God. But as people of faith, Instead, may we be driven toward God in the value of good news. There's purpose in this passage, and one of those purposes is so that I will take part in God's good work, so that I will take part in God's work. It seems to me that Joseph was more voluntold than volunteered for the mission that would be his in the first few years of Jesus' life. And we're in a sense, we're, we're working our way around and surrounding different parts of the Christmas story so that on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we're moving even closer and closer to the manger so that we might be able to hear even better and discover the message that Jesus has for us this Christmas. And we're learning more about Jesus than we are about Joseph. We know that the wise men came, brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We sang about them, I know, in the first service. How many wise men were there? Well, we assume there were three because they gave three gifts. Well, hey, it seems like a good idea to me, but we're not told. And the wise men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they made their way back to Persia, not Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 13 that God spoke to Joseph by way of an angel in a dream, and the angel tells Joseph to flee to Egypt until further notice, for Herod will be searching for the child to destroy him. The angel came. Now, we're not told the angel's name, first couple of heavenly messengers that we've looked at in this series of messages all were both Gabriel. Gabriel spoke to John the Baptist's dad, Zachariah, then Gabriel spoke to Joseph, but here we're, it's an unnamed angel. Some Bible scholars and students of the Bible figure it just must be Gabriel. They just didn't mention his name again. I think probably if it had been Gabriel, they'd have said it was Gabriel, so maybe it's another angel that came and gave the message of what Joseph needed to do next. And then when Joseph woke from his dream or woke from the angel speaking, what did Joseph say? It's a trick question. He didn't say anything. We don't have any words that Joseph said. But what did Joseph do and when did he do it? It says he got up and he took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. In fact, he didn't wait until morning. Went at night. A way of saying night also may be a way of saying they did it secretly. Anything ever happened in your life you thought to yourself, this is a little more than you bargained for? got a prodigal child, broken relationship, financial hardship, illness, loss of a loved one. Why don't I get an angel in a dream to tell me what to do next? You might think. But you need to know that we have more than Joseph. You have the Word of God in the New Testament. Joseph did have the Old Testament, but you have the testimony of Jesus. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living in you. And I got to tell you, the 
testimony of Jesus is found in His Word and the Holy Spirit living in you is somewhere a step above an angel even speaking to you. To take part in God's work, you want to act quickly in the things already that you know to do. Have you noticed the similarities? Another similarities between Joseph of the Old Testament and Joseph of the New Testament. God spoke to both through dreams. They both went to Egypt. Anything else? They were both godly and faithful men. Now there's a pattern here. Those who are godly and those who are faithful are more apt to be able to hear from God and to be used by God. New Testament Joseph is called righteous in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19. Let's be sure that we understand about that word righteous. It means to be in a right standing before God. And there's only one way anybody can be in a right standing before God, and that's through the forgiveness and the grace of God for all those who place their faith in Him. So we find here both Joseph's were righteous before God. Now as we read the story about an unrighteous king who was known for cruelty and injustice, we've heard stories about him, executed his favorite wife, killed two of his sons who because he thought they were plotting against him, along with many other relatives and leaders in his regime, even the hit of disloyalty would be cause for execution, whether it was true or not. Known for some cruelties for which we probably would not speak of on a Sunday morning, Emperor Caesar Augustus said of Herod the Great, he said, better to be his sow than his son, for the former had a better chance to live called Herod the Great, maybe because he did build large city, maybe because of the great atrocities, but he was anything but good. So as we read of such an evil king next to the chapter of the birth of the righteous king, you want to do everything you can to be identified and used in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and not in the kingdoms of this world, even in the most difficult of circumstances. You may not have volunteered to be in the situation or be facing a crisis whatever it is you may be facing today, but you want to be in a position to be able to hear from God and be able to use by Him. There's purpose in the passage. One of those purposes is so that I will open doors for others to know Jesus. So that I will open doors for others to know Jesus. Most of us have had our December calendars filled, perhaps. You've got office parties and clubs to go to and meeting you know, family and friends to come over or go to. You've got some place to go, perhaps. And on top of that, if you're a member of this church or other church, you've got church stuff that you've got to do as well. What makes a difference between believers who are celebrating Christmas and those who are not believers celebrating Christmas or any other time of the year? It's got to have something to do besides that we're just busier perhaps than others. It's got to be something else. May I suggest to you three ways that we might be able to be seen as different and three ways that we need to be different as well as to open door for others to know Jesus or draw close to Him. Three kinds of men are mentioned here in Matthew chapter 2. One of those was the wise men or the magi. And the wise men being from faraway Persia reminds us that the good news is, is open for everyone. But the wise men did something very unusual for men. We've talked about this before. The wise men asked for directions. I don't know, what is it? Real men don't eat quiche or ask for directions. But these particular wise men asked for directions. Well, maybe because as opposed to the regular kind or the rest of us. They had, they had followed the star, rested over Judea. Where else would the king be born but in the capital of Judea in Jerusalem? I think probably they came in expecting a great celebration to be taking place because the king had been born in the capital, or they thought it would be the capital. So when they found no celebration, then they found Herod. Herod himself being Jewish, 
half Jewish. He showed his ignorance when he had to call his chief priests and scribes to answer the question of where the Messiah would be born. And they quoted from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that the ruler would be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod, conferring with the wise men, found out about the star, asked the wise men to let him know where the child was and told one of these great, the greatest lies in history. Said he wanted to go and worship. But instead he wanted to go and kill. Wise men tell us you'll open doors by your priorities or really by singular, your priority. Well, what is that priority? I believe you know what it is. I've seen it on your Christmas cards. Wise men seek Jesus. Where did it show up for the wise men? Well, it showed up in their time. They had to take time in order that they might be able to seek and be able to worship Jesus. It showed up in their possessions or even in their money. They came bringing gifts. It showed up also in their actions that they came and they worshipped him. It showed up in their words as they asked of others and told of others that they wanted to go and worship in their intention. Wise men still seek Jesus, and it is their priority. Also, we might learn from Joseph, who's in Matthew chapter 2, as well as Matthew once, the guy who never spoke. The wise men speak. We have words from the wise men. Herod, the king, speak. We have his words. But in this chapter, no words from Joseph, who merely followed the directions of the angel of God, not knowing what the future would hold. He was told to go to Egypt until further noticed. Three dreams that took place. Next angel in a dream. Herod is dead. Go back to Israel. And he heads back to Israel. But where, he did not know. I want you to notice what's taking place here and what he's just not doing all the things, but he's doing what he knows to do until he's given further direction. He's recognizing he's given this much information. Well, let's do this. Well, we ought to recognize that whatever the information we have on how we might be obedient or what direction the Lord would have us to go, we've got to be obedient as far as the Lord has shown us so far, as far as His light has shown. And then trust that He's going to show us further because then He was told, He said, well, He was told then to go to Nazareth. In another dream, His hometown for Jesus will be called a Nazarene. It's a name identified with the humble and the common people. So what do we learn from Joseph in this passage? It is to submit. Submit to the Lord in all things. Trust and obey with whatever the information that you have for today. And then we have another man that we've talked about already a lot. That's Herod the Great. He was only great in his own eyes. But we learn from Herod what not to be. With Herod, it's all about him. I'm pretty sure Herod could be called the original Grinch. Now, it's been a while, I think, since I watched the movie or the cartoon, The Grinch, but I think in the end it all kind of comes out okay for him. Maybe the same way with Ebenezer Scrooge, but not so for King Herod. Just before his death, knowing that he was about to die, he had arrested many of the prominent people in Jerusalem, many distinguished citizens of Jerusalem, knowing that no one would mourn his death. His body was covered with sores and infections and illness, and he was in much pain. It was as if the cruelties he had inflicted upon so many were now being returned in kind, so the historians say. His last order at the moment of his passing was that these distinguished members of Jerusalem, many of them heads of the families in Jerusalem, were to be executed upon his death so that the people in Jerusalem and Judea would mourn instead of rejoicing. Fortunately, 
Those who were under him after he died did not carry out this order and they were released. Now I suppose if we thought about it, maybe we could think of rulers even today who are as evil or as cruel as King Herod, but at the moment I can only think of very few. One of the most self-absorbed who ever lived. Contrasting to Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. So what do we learn from Herod? It is to be unselfish. We remember the words from... uh, It is to be unselfish. We remember the words from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. Don't be selfish. Be humble. Consider others more important than yourselves. Look out for each other's. Look for each other's interest before your others and have the mind of Christ Jesus. Well, you want to be able to open doors for others. You want people to be able to see the difference that Jesus truly makes or maybe have a stir some conversation, influence Others, for Jesus, will learn from this chapter one priority. Completely submit to God and strive to be unselfish and doors will open. There's purpose in the passage. One of the purposes of this passage so that I will remember the reasons that I do what I do for Jesus. So that I will remember why I do what I do for Jesus. Now, this particular part of Matthew becomes somewhat significant because of the prophecies that were fulfilled in mention of this. And I don't want you to miss these. Verse 23 says the prophet that he'd be called a Nazarene because he's from Nazareth. But uh, from that prophecy, we really have no Old Testament place to where Nazareth is ever mentioned in the Old Testament. We know that from the New Testament and that Nazareth was uh, the northern and the northern parts of Galilee, they were not considered very sophisticated in the north. It's kind of like how some people feel about the southeast and maybe particular in Alabama if they've never been here. They considered us a little redneck and hillbilly. You got sometimes they come down and they're surprised that we actually wear shoes or have indoor plumbing. Well, that's kind of what they thought about the people in northern Palestine and the people there around Nazareth. So this is probably a reference, and particularly the hill countries and small towns, so probably a reference to passage such as Isaiah 53.3, that he was despised and rejected by men, and he was held in low esteem. It's a reminder that Jesus came to identify with the lowly and give grace and love to redneck hillbilly people like us. Verse 15 is a quote from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 where it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. Again, there's a parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament Joseph. Old Testament Joseph, after he came to Egypt, he brought his family to Egypt. Several hundred years later, they, all the Israelites came out of Egypt. Well, Jesus comes into Egypt with his family and there's a new exodus and new people related by faith. It's more than coincidence or even just merely symbolic in which Jesus now brings you and I into his family. Verse 18 quotes Jeremiah and considers the great weeping over Bethlehem's children. Bethlehem was a small village, maybe of about 1,000 people. It would have been maybe 10 or 20 families that would have been affected by what Herod did to kill all the babies two years and under. But if you've ever lived in a small town or known anybody in a small town, everybody in that village would have known every family that had lost a baby because of Herod's raids. And Matthew quotes Jeremiah in the Old Testament when Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was devastated and the people were taken to Ramah, a city north of Jerusalem. And then those who survived the conquering 
They were taken to Babylon in exile, modern-day Iraq. There was a great weeping, as there was in Bethlehem. In that same chapter that this is quoted, in Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet Jeremiah tells the people there's a hope for a bright future. In fact, there's a new covenant that's going to take place. And now it's quoted here because that new covenant is Jesus. And the Lord had not forgotten him. He had not forgotten them and he does not forget us. There's hope in the midst of hurt. There's hope even when there's death. The Lord has not forgotten you. There's hope for a bright future. A, uh, a visitor came into town one night where I was the pastor. As far as I know, nobody ever saw him come into town. He slept that night on the steps of the Methodist church. He was homeless. Police picked him up. They carried him to a care house we had there, primarily for food and clothes for people who were in need. And The people at the care house called me. His name was Richmond. After talking with Richmond, Richmond said he wanted a bus ticket. Had a place he wanted to go. So I called up Deacon, asked Deacon if he's ready for a ride. Said, let's, to, let's take Richmond to the bus. We took Richmond, we, we bought him a bus ticket. But while we were with Richmond, I asked Richmond if I could tell him about my faith. And he said that I could. And I used the letters of F-A-I-T-H to talk about faith. I told Richmond, I said, F is forgiveness. F is for forgiveness. You cannot go to heaven without God's forgiveness. I said, A is for available. Forgiveness is available for everyone, but it's not automatic. I said, I is for impossible. It's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. T is for turn. You must turn from sin and self and turn toward Jesus. And I told him, H is for heaven. Everyone who called upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And H is also for the here and now because Jesus has come to give us life and to give us purpose. We had prayer with him, bought him lunch, and put him on the bus. And I got to tell you, I was just thinking that we were just, we were just put, put him on to, for somebody else's problem, I'm sure. Several months went by, and I hadn't thought much of Richmond in between that time, I have to confess to you. Richmond wrote me a letter. Uh, certainly never expected to hear from him. I got the letter about a week before Christmas, so time of year of about today. And I kept that letter for a while. I couldn't, I can't find it now. Somewhere lost it in transition. So I've, I've, I've rewritten it in what I remember that Richmond wrote. It was kind of crudely written. A lot of misspelled words. Not really, grammar was not necessarily correct. He wrote much like I write. But he said, Dear Brother Redmond, I know you might not remember me. You bought me a bus ticket when I was in your town. Thank you for feeding me and getting me to the getting me the bus ticket. I wanted to write you and let you know I was no longer homeless. I have gotten a good job and I'm doing good. I now pray and read my Bible every day. And I tell people the difference that Jesus has made in my life. All because of that day that you and Deacon told me about how I needed to place my faith in Jesus. Thank you and Merry Christmas and I know my Christmas will never be the same now that I know Jesus. Just thought that you might want to know. Sincerely, Richmond. I tell you, when I read that letter, I asked the Lord to forgive me of doing what I had to do just to pass him along to someone else. 
or forgetting the power of the good news of Jesus. And this letter also convicted me of remembering why we do what we do. It's because people need Jesus and he can make a difference in every life. May we never forget why we do what we do. There's purpose in the passage that we've read today. There's also purpose in the problems. Purpose in the problems that you may be facing and they are similar. Why do... Why does God allow such things to happen in our life? One, so that I will not forget the value of good news. Also, so that I will take part in God's work. So that I will open doors for others to know Jesus. And so that I will remember why I do what I do for Jesus. God's greatest gift is the gift of His Son. Have you accepted that gift? If not, why not today? Come accepting that free gift of salvation today on this day, one week before we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've accepted the gift, celebrate, rejoice, be involved in God's work. Give of yourself today. You have reason to rejoice regardless of what's happening in the world today, regardless of what's happening in your world because Jesus has come and he makes all the difference. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this worship service. We thank you for the many parts of the worship service, from the singing to the music to the baptisms to the reading of your word, proclamation and talking of your word, Father, even now as we come to this time of decision. We pray that all of it has helped us to be able to focus on you. Father, we pray that through all the things that we do, may your name be exalted. May hearts and lives be transformed and changed because we've been in your presence. We pray now that the Holy Spirit might be at work in ways that we could not fathom. Increase our desire for you. We pray, Father, we thank you for God's greatest gift. We pray if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. Thank you for your greatest gift given through Jesus. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.